Come on, church. Come on, man. Man, oh man. Man, it's great to be back here with all of you this morning as we come together as his church and celebrate him and what he's doing in his church. An awesome God and lives being changed by Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Speaking of lives being changed, come on. Come on. If you're new with us, welcome. Welcome to Vertical Church. We love the fact that you are here. We, we hope that your time with us is nothing short of God awesome, that when you walk out those doors, you know how much he loves you, that he sent his own son to die for you to have eternal life. And that's what this light represents, by the way. When you come in on a Sunday morning, you see this light on, that means someone in the last seven days prayed and surrendered their life to Jesus Christ. Come on. We just went through a series called Crazy Faith, and the first step was baby faith, taking God at his word, and God says in his word that he answers prayer. And last week, while we were together, we prayed, said, God, will you make a difference this week? Will you open someone's heart to the reality they need Jesus in their life? And guess what God did? Come on, right? We serve an amazing, amazing God. Good morning to all of you who are joining us online this morning. We love the fact that you're able to do that, that we have the technology, not just the technology, but the technology team that make this possible for you to, to be a part of what God is doing here at Vertical Church. We wish you were here, right church? Uh, you're missing out. We wish you were here, but we're thankful that you were stepping in this morning. Um, you know, we're getting into the series. Before we get into the series, I want to share with you, there's, there's this day coming up, and it's new to us as Vertical Church and it's happening on September 24th, and it's called Best Sunday Ever. No one, we have three people who are excited for the best Sunday ever. <laughs> Gang, this is going to be a, a Sunday where we're going to have invite cards. We're going to promote it out there, have events. What it's going to do is we're asking you to bring your friends, your family, people who are far from God. So we're, it's going to be a gospel-centric, sharing Jesus' hope uh, that morning, but it's also going to be a day of events. After services, after second services, we're going to go out in the front seven acres of our property. We're going to have some kind of like carnival, some kind of event. We're just going to be games, food, free, all sorts of things, prizes for kids. It's a way for us to continue to engage with our community in a real practical way because, you know, I've only been around here for a couple of years, but this place around this Midwestern area loves their festivals and their carnivals and we're like, we just want to get together and have a little small town shindig, you know what I'm saying, right? So that's what we're going to do. We're going to put one on our front lawn, all right? So keep your eyes open. This is coming up, best Sunday ever. Um, I heard a story once. I heard a story once of a little girl who loved to, to sit and watch her mama make dinner. It was one of her favorite things to do. She'd come home and she'd sit there and mom was making dinner and she'd always sit there and watch her. And one night she asked her mom, she goes, mom, why do you always cut the ends of the meat off before you cook it? The mom looked at the daughter really curiously, stopped and thought for a moment. She goes, well, I, I'm really not sure, but I believe it's to allow the meat to absorb the spices better. So when it's uncooking, the whole thing tastes a whole lot better. But you know, you know what? You should go ask your grandma because I learned this from her. So the little girl goes, okay, I'll go talk to grandma. So the little girl walks off and must have had a, like a, a family shindig. They're all together having a good old time. And they, she goes, ask grandma. I said, grandma, why do you cut the ends of the meat off before you cook it? And so she says, well, I talked to mom. And mom says she learned it from you. So could you tell me why? And the grandmother stopped and thought about it. She goes, I'm not sure, 
But I believe that it's so it, it has more flavor, so it soaks up all the juices, and it's more juicier, and everybody loves juicy meat, right? So, but I learned it from Nana, which is their great-grandmother. So what I think you should do is go talk to your Nana and find out, you know, to ask her why. So that's what exactly this little girl did. She went over to Nana, and, and she was a Nana. Why do you cut the ends of the meat off before you cook it? I talked to Mama. I talked to Grandma, and they said, I, they learned it from you, so can you kind of tell me what, why you do what you this, why you're doing what you're doing? And she goes, well, I don't know why they did it, but I cut the ends off so it would fit in the pan. <laughs> For reals. Church, knowing your why is important. Knowing your why is important. Why you do what you do is important. Knowing our why or your why allows you, allows me to fully commit to what we're called to do. In fact, a guy named Simon Sinek wrote a book starting with why. He says this on the screen. He says, people don't buy what you do. They buy why you do it. People don't buy what you do, they, don't, they buy why you do it. And that is completely true. And that is fully true, completely true for the churches. We have, a, as a church, we have a ton. We have a do and we do a ton of what. And we'll continue to, to put the what out there. But when our church, when you and me, we walk through this understanding, we understand why we are doing it. When you know it, when you believe it, when you start living the why... The kingdom work that is done is immeasurable. We don't just step in and do what. We know why we're doing it. And that's the goal of this series. What is our why? And why do we do everything that we do as a church? Now, I'm not sure if you have heard of it or watched it before. uh, But there was a TV show titled, This Is Us. Raise your hand if you've ever seen it or heard of it or watched the show. Maybe you're a diehard for it. Raise your hands again. Let me see this. All right. So what this, I think it ended last year. Last year was the end last year, and I think it was a tearjerker. I was told it was a tearjerker. Everybody was crying, and people were dying. I don't know why anybody watched a show like that. But anyways, um, what was unique about this show, it was it allowed the viewers to have behind-the-scenes look into family life. And what they when you watch this series, what I understood is you saw the real and the raw of what it means to be a family. You saw all the things that we don't normally talk about in our lives. And I think that's why that series is so popular. In fact, the first year it came out and won tons of awards. Because people could look at what they're watching and say, I can relate to that. I can relate what they're doing. I can, this is who they are. This is who I am because I've experienced that. Well, that's what we want to do in this series. We want to give our church. We want to give our guests. We want to give our community an open book view of our why. Why do we do what we do? The real and the raw of it. And we're going to be walking through this. We're walking through several of our core values. Our core values are the pillars of how we are living out our mission of making more and better disciples of Jesus Christ. And we're going to start breaking them down and walking through them so we can say, this is us. This is who Vertical is. This is why we do what we do. 
And this is, there's two ways as I walk into this series. There's two ways we can influence human behavior. We can manipulate people or we can inspire people. And so as we walk through this series, I want you to understand this series is not to manipulate you. This series is pulled together by Jesus saying, we want to inspire you, to inspire us as a church to live that called out life that we have been called to live as we open the book of truth and talk to him. And we're going to break through this, these, some of these barriers that we have. And once we understand our why, once we believe our why, once we start living our why, we have very little excuses not to do the what. You with me on that? Now, I want to be upfront with you. There's times in this series that I'm going to say some things that, sound, that may sound a little harsh. They're going to be a little harsh. Yeah. Facts. But I just share with you the, the, the why that we're doing this series, to inspire us as a church to greater kingdom impact. And sometimes when we are growing and the truth is revealed, it hurts, doesn't it? Yeah, so we're going to walk through this together. During this series also, I'm going to mention back to this book. This is a book written by Tom Rainer. It's called I Am a Church Member. I Am a Church Member. In fact, we just dropped several copies of these in our merch store there for seven bucks. As you walk out this morning, stop by and grab one. I encourage you to read it. If you ever want to know what it means to be part of our church family, if you ever want to know your responsibility, your accountability, what it means to be part of a church, read this book. Tom Rayner does not pull any punches. It's a, it's a snapshot, but he doesn't pull any punches. And I'm very thankful. I'm thankful that he put it out there because, you know, I believe the modern church, the American church, man, it needs a, a refresh what it means to be the church. So if you grab that anyway, I don't think you'll be, you may be a little frustrated. Uh, just remember, he wrote it, not me. All right? Let's get in this. Open your Bibles if you're with John, the book of John, chapter 1. John, chapter 1, verse 35. If you grabbed an orange Bible on the way in, you'll find it on page 724. John, chapter 1, verse 25, 35, or 724, the orange Bibles. By the way, if you grabbed an orange Bible and you don't have a Bible of your own, please take that. That's our gift to you. We desire for you to have a copy of God's Word. If you didn't grab one, you don't have one, grab one on the way out. We want you to have a copy of God's Word. The first core value that we're stepping into of our mission to make it more and better disciples of Jesus Christ, by the way, that is our mission, is found people, find people. Found people, find people. Breaking this cord out of core value down means that the moment when you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, you made him the Lord and Savior of your life, turn away from your old life and turning away to a new life in him, you were saved, or as scripture says, you have been found. This idea of being found, lost and found, has been around for almost 2,000 years. In fact, in Luke, the book of Luke chapter 15, Jesus shares some amazing stories, and one of them is a son the son who was lost, and he found his way back home to his father. He was lost and he found. One of the most popular hymns in the world is one called Amazing Grace. Anybody heard that song before? And right in the middle of it says, I was once lost, but I am now what? Come on, you know what I'm talking about. If you were here this morning, and you've given Jesus your life, he is the Lord of your life, you have been 
found. Now maybe you're in this room this morning and you haven't done that. You haven't taken that step and sworn your life. You were lost and you need to be found. You need to give your life to Jesus Christ. Very plain and simple. But found people is only the beginning of their core value. Find people, found people is only the first half. It goes, found people what? Find people. That's the core value. Say it with me. Found people. Come on. What does it mean to find people? What does it mean for you, to me, to find people? What does it mean for the church to find people? Those are great questions. I'm glad you asked. You guys are smart people. We're going to dig it into this morning. We're going to find out what it means to find people. What does it mean for the church, you, me, to find people? Not just the what, but the why behind it. Behind it. And this is the beauty of this conversation this morning. The why behind our conversation is not my personal agenda. Rich didn't make it up. The why behind our conversation is brought out by Jesus. And if you want to argue with Jesus, go ahead. Because I guarantee you we're going to lose, right? Come on. All right, so let's get into it. John was written by a follower of Jesus. Jesus who had had a real close relationship with him. And he tells us about the life of Jesus. I love the book of John. Anybody says, hey, Rich, when do I start reading the Bible? I say start with the book of John. Because the book of John is just sweet Jesus all the way through. From the beginning of chapter 1 to the end of chapter 21. It's all about Jesus. And he's a very close relationship. And the John, the apostle John, he writes in his passage. And he starts, and he starts off with his Jesus' earthly ministry. And immediately we start seeing what his ministry is supposed to be. So in John chapter 1, verse 35, look with me or on the screen or your Bibles on your, in your lap or on your phones. It says, the next day John was there with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. And it says, stop there again. The next day, John was in this position before. The day before, Jesus was walking on the scene. He stopped. He goes, look, the Lamb of God. You see it right before this passage. He says, the Lamb of God, the one who takes away the sins of the world. So as John is proclaiming, just he is talking about Jesus. Look, the Lamb of God. Now, to bring some clarification, the John who said this is not the John who wrote the book. The John who pointed to Jesus was known as John the Baptist. He was actually Jesus' cousin. And John the Baptist was kind of like one of those Old Testament prophets. You read in the Old, the Old Testament, he preached repentance. It means turn away from your old life and turn away to new life of following God. Turn away from your sin and turn towards faith in God. That's what John did. And during this time in John's life, he had a large following. People were following him. His Instagram feed was blowing up. He was becoming an influencer around Jerusalem, you know what I'm saying? And, and then he does something absolutely amazing that should hit at the very core of every one of us room and in our hearts. And he says this, look, look, the Lamb of God. What John did, he basically said was, look, here comes our Messiah. Here, that guy walking down the street, he is the one the Old Testament was talking about. He was the one who was going to change everything. Here is Jesus. He is the one we've been waiting for. Now follow him. And that's what we want to do as individuals. That's what we want to do as a church. 
We want to point people to Jesus and say, follow him. We're not trying to build the name of Vertical around here. We're not trying to build the name of Vertical. We're trying to build the name of Jesus. I'm not trying to build the name of Rich anywhere. My life, your life, we're here to magnify the name of Jesus. In fact, in fact, in, later on in chapter 3, you can read it later, Jesus', Jesus disciples were baptizing all these people, and they were coming to him, and some of John's followers come to John, and they're complaining, say, listen, they're all going to the disciples, why aren't they coming to us anymore? And John stops and puts them in their face, and gets in their face, puts them in their place, and he says, listen, listen, listen. He says this amazing phrase, he must become greater, I must become less. He, Jesus, must become greater, me, rich, become less. We are called to magnify, point people to Jesus. Not self. Follow him. But it goes much further than that. Let's continue reading verse 37. It says, when the two disciples heard him say this, they, well, look at what they did. They followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? I, man, that's so convicting. We started following Jesus saying, like, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which, which means teacher, where are you staying? Jesus said, come and you will see. So they went and saw where Jesus was staying and he spent the day with him it was about four in the afternoon. Verse 40, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard John say said, what John said and followed Jesus. Verse 41, the first thing that Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and to tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. Verse 42, and he brought him to Jesus. Did you see it? Did you catch what just took place as we're reading God's word? John pointed to Jesus and said, follow him. Andrew got up and found his brother. He found his brother. He said, Look, here's the good news. The Messiah has come. The Christ is here. You need to come see him. Let me show you the way. It's plain and simple. So as I read these few verses, I walk away with three convictions that I want to share with you this morning. And the first one is this. Spending time with Jesus changes and challenges my heart to tell others about him. Spending time with Jesus changes and challenges my heart to tell others about him. Can I say it? Church. Let's say it again. Church. Read your Bible. Let the word of God do the work of God in your life. I believe Jesus changes everything. I believe what Jesus did on the cross and conquering the grave opened the door to the best life possible. I believe that coming to Jesus is not just a moment of changing our eternity, but surrendering of our lives to walk with him on a daily basis. And I believe that we find that in Scripture. 
And I believe that Scripture is alive and it's active and it cuts to the very core of who we are, challenging our behaviors, challenging our beliefs, convicting us to change. Because as we read Scripture, God opens our heart, the Holy Spirit says, look, I'm talking to you. It opened our eyes to the truth. And if I understand the truth, the truth sets us free. Spending time with Jesus changes and challenges our hearts. And if you're not spending time with Jesus, you will never be convicted to change anything. Look what time with Jesus, time with Jesus did. They spent the day with him. They hung out with him. Andrew was convinced that his brother needed to come meet him, so, that's, so he went and told him. When's the last time you told someone about Jesus? When was the last time you told someone that Jesus changes everything? When was the last time you told someone in, around you about the life-changing gospel and how what Jesus has done in your life? Soul-saving faith in Jesus Christ. Friends, when we are digging into his word, God is opening our hearts and minds to the eyes. The spirit should be exploding inside of us to go tell someone what God is revealing to us. Just, just last week, I was reading in 2 Kings chapter 13 where a couple of Israelites were buying, burying, not buying, but burying a dude. And they realized they were being attacked and they threw him in a tomb. And I just need to share with you, you need to see what the Word of God does. Look at this in 2 Kings chapter 13, verse 21 on the screen. It says, once while some Israelites were burying a man, suddenly they saw a band of raiders. They're being attacked. So they threw the man's body into Elisha's tomb. When the body touched Elisha's bones, the man came to life and stood up on his feet. What? Can you comprehend it? You, I was reading, I went right by, I was like, wait a second, whoa, wait, wait. You threw a dead man in and he hit the bones of Elisha, a priest, and he stood up and he was alive? A dead man come to life? I can't comprehend that. Or can I? Because this man was dead. And God raised him to new life. Church, God is still raising people to new life. They're dead and lost in their sins. And through Jesus Christ, they become alive. We read this stuff. We should explode and tell somebody. Someone testify. Time with Jesus changes and challenges our heart to proclaim him to others. If you're not spending time with him, you will never be inspired to tell others about him. Conviction number two. The message of hope was never meant to stop with you. The message of hope was never meant to stop with me. Let's look back at these verses. Look at verse 40. 
Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the ones who heard what John had said. And he started to follow Jesus. The first thing he did was to find his brother and go tell him. We have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. We just read this. We'll we'll read it again. Hear hear me clearly this. The gospel is for us, but not about us. It is for us. Life-saving message of Jesus Christ is absolutely for us, but it is not about us. It's for us personally, but never meant to be just about us. Salvation is personal, yes, but it's not meant to stop with you as a person. Too many churches across our nation miss this. Too many Christians across our nation miss this. We make the gospel all about us, and and we create what I call holy huddles. We have all these holy huddles. I have all these people who are like me, who think like I do, who believe what I like to, you know, and and we have, here's my inner circle. They forget they were called to go tell someone about Jesus. Unfortunately, the church is becoming about how I look for the kingdom, not for what I am doing for the kingdom. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. I've shared this in the past, and I'll share it again this morning. It says, it is for by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works and no one can boast. Your salvation has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with amazing, mighty God who gave his son so you can have eternal life. And what God says, in this spiritual state, the new you, the resurrected you, the Holy Spirit filled you, the gifted you, look what he says in verse 10. Look what he says, for you are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to go do good works. And guess what? He's already planned and prepared in advance for you to do it. Paul was telling the church that there is a gospel work to be done. People need Jesus. Don't let the message of hope end with you. Found people, find people. Andrew, once he knew the truth, what was his first response? Was it just, let me just sit here and soak up all my Jesus for myself? Or did he know someone who needed to meet Jesus? And he went and told them about him. Listen, we, we point people to stuff and other things all the time. We go to a restaurant. We absolutely love the food. We tell people about it. For a while there, for about four months straight, I was telling everybody about Burger King. (laughs) Not for their burgers, but for their ice cream cones. They're a dollar. And they're amazing. If you walk in, you say, listen, I'm here for one of your amazing, large, one dollar ice cream cones. Sometimes they give you a little bit bigger than you're supposed to. 
When we get a good service from a mechanic or another business, we get onto the interwebs of social media, like, you got to go here, these guys are amazing. We follow sports teams. We buy all the hats in New Jersey when they win the Super Bowl or, or, or whatever, I don't know any other sports. But they win all that stuff and you buy new things, you promote them, you, you tell everybody, that is why I have nothing new, Miami Dolphins, because they haven't won in forever. But we do that. We point people to things and stuff every single day of our lives. But what, we, what are we doing when it comes to Jesus? What, it, what are we doing when it comes to the message of Jesus Christ, the gospel, that he's saving souls? What is our first response when we're challenged to tell people about Jesus? Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to live into this world. A perfect life was nailed to the cross and died for our sins, conquering death three days later, rising from the grave, and in surrendering our lives, having faith in him, we have received this free gift called eternal life and we'll be with him for all eternity. That's simple. Have you ever stopped to think about the circle's in your life? Who are the people that are in your circles? Are all your friends Jesus people? Do you have any connection those, if they were to die today, would spend eternity in hell? I mean, come on, that's, that's the truth, right? Scripture clearly says anyone who does not surrender life to Jesus Christ, make him the Lord of life, they will spend eternity in a place called hell. If we believe in Jesus, that is our heaven, then we need to believe there's a place who don't accept him, and that's called hell. We can't celebrate one and forget the other. No, our job as followers of Jesus is to continue to bring as many people with us as possible because it's the best thing for them ever. We're called to be part of God filling heaven. Why wouldn't we want to act on that? Why wouldn't we want to step into that? Why wouldn't we be like, I'm going to just do everything I need to do to reach that person for Jesus? There was an old comedian couple, Penn and Teller, years ago. Um, they're, they're old dudes now. Uh, but several years ago, Penn uh, Gillett, one of the magicians, he was, there's a video out there, you can find it. He was having a conversation about a conversation he had with someone after a show that he did. And how this guy was waiting in the back and as he was signing books and all that kind of stuff. And he, he's waiting, waiting. And this guy walks up and he gives him a Bible with a little note in it. And he says, Penn's, Penn's an atheist. He's proclaiming atheist. Doesn't believe in God at all. But this guy stood in the back and waited and brought him a Bible with some scriptures highlighted into it. And he says, this guy, this guy was really nice. He's really cool. He was kind to me. And he cared about me. I think he says, I think I, he knew that I was an atheist, but he did it anyways. And he shared a quote that just rocks me to the core. He says, 
How much you much do you have to hate someone to not proselytize? To proselytize means to evangelize. To evangelize is to tell someone about Jesus. So what he was saying is, how much do you have to hate someone not to tell them about Jesus? If we believe that heaven is real and hell is real, how much we must hate someone not to tell them? Now that's crazy talk. Look stream maybe. Or is it? Hell is a place that we should never want our worst enemy to go. Found people, find people. As a church, if we do anything less, we become a holy huddle. And as I read scripture, that's not the church. And that's why every Sunday when this light is on, I am just lit inside. We're pumped. We're juiced. We celebrate. Because God is still working. And he's, not, he's choosing to work through you, through this church, to make a difference in this community and the communities around. That should always juice us up to go out and tell more people about Jesus. That's why as a church we try to create opportunities to make it easy for us. We always have invite cards available. They're coming out again for Best Sunday Ever. You're going to get a whole bunch of them. I think we ordered 5,000. We create events like Best Sunday Ever. To invite your friends too to come have a good time. People have this weird thought about church. We wanted to know, it's all about God's love for you. Come and hear about that. We, we were in the, the parade yesterday, and uh, we were playing some music, and I was in the back of the truck, and I got to be the DJ. <laughs> it was a ton of fun. And I kept on playing a song, Crazy People. Yeah. Followers of Jesus, man, we're some crazy people. And we want to pass out crazy to everyone we know. Found people, find people. We should be proclaiming the message of hope. As a church, we should be claiming the message of hope. As followers of Jesus, you should be claiming the message of hope. Because look what happens when we do. Verse 42, let's look at the end of it. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which translated is Peter. Third conviction, friends, Jesus is the game changer. Jesus is the game changer. We're not the game changer. We just need to be in the game. Jesus is the game changer. Peter was brought to Jesus and his whole life changed. Later, Peter proclaimed that Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of the living God, and God used him, Jesus used him to set the foundation of the church. The church that Jesus set himself, the gates of hell will not overcome it. Jesus changes everything. He changed Peter's life. 
He's changed many of your lives, and he's still in the game of changing lives today. That is why we do what we do. That is why that simple four-word phrase is impactful for us to live out. Found people, find people. If you're in this room and you've given your life to Jesus, that is the calling on your life. Yes, you get the best life possible with Jesus here and now. Yes, you get the best life possible with him forever and ever in heaven. Amen. But it doesn't stop with you. It can't stop with you. Because that's not what the gospel is about. Continuing passing on more and better disciples of Jesus Christ. Go read the first eight chapters of the book of Acts. Birth of the church. People are coming to Christ. Start with 120. Peter gave one message. And 3,000 people were saved and baptized. Still a little jelly about that one. And more came, and more came. They preached the gospel. They stood in front of the Sanhedrin, the the religious leaders, and they said, I don't care what you tell me to do. I'm still going to tell people about Jesus. And more people came. Persecution came. Stephen was martyred and killed, taken out for his faith. People scattered. And if you read, it says, as they were running for their lives, they were still telling people about Jesus. Couldn't imagine doing that. For one, I hate running. I'd be too winded to tell someone about Jesus that I'm running. There's no excuses. That's our why. And we need to live it out. Every single one of us. Because that's what the church has been called to do. This morning, we have an opportunity to remember exactly what was made, made it possible. This morning, we're up front who have tables for communion. And communion represents what Jesus has done for us. And Jesus is very clear that we're called to do it in remembrance of him. And I couldn't think of a better way to remember our calling in our lives by the one who made it possible for that calling to happen. To remember, to surrender. So we're going to take it as a church. We're going to take it together. The scripture is very, very clear though. Do not take this. Do not remember in an unworthy manner. So before we come up and, and take it together, I'm going to, pr- we're going to take a time of prayer reflection for yourself. And then I'm going to pray for us as a church. And maybe it's this morning, it's time for you to get some things right with God. Talk to him about some things that you're doing or living in your life that needs to get corrected. Don't come up here and take a remembrance if you haven't confessed to him. And if you're in this room and you have not accepted Jesus, he is not the Lord of your life, I would encourage you not to take it. Don't come up and take it because you can't remember what you have not embraced for yourself yet. So maybe before you even come up in your seat, you surrender your life to Jesus and make him the Lord of your life. 
Let's take that time together. Scripture says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul writes about what was taking place in the upper room before Jesus was arrested and crucified. Paul says in verse 23, For what I received from the Lord, I also pass on to you. On the night, on the night that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread and had given thanks and broke it. And he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus knew what was coming down. He knew it was coming for him. You know, I, I think that's amazing. We sometimes read right past that. You know, we, we betrayed him too. Our sin also put him on the cross. We always look at Luke Judas and go like, mm-mm. But it was us too. But while we we're still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5, 8. And he says, this is my body which is broken. Was we, you come up this morning, you'll be taking a cracker. And what that cracker represents is Christ's broken body for you. The price that he paid for your sin, my sin, the sin of all humanity. And should be never taken lightly. Then after dinner, he goes on and says the same thing. He says, this cup is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this when you drink it in remembrance of me. Because of sin, a sacrifice needed to be made, a blood sacrifice. And Jesus, who lived a perfect life, had the perfect blood. And his blood was poured out for the sin of all mankind. Perfect sacrifice, once and for all. Never needs to be done again. And as followers of Jesus, we remember that. What he did, that he died, so we don't have to. He took on all the pain, all the punishment that we deserve because he loves us. So as you come up, you're also going to get some juice. The juice represents his blood, what he's done. And as a church, we'll do this in remembrance of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So I'm going to ask you to stand. And you're going, to act, you're going to exit your row to the right. Come forward. I'm going to call the elders right now to do the serving. And you're going to come up and take communion and return to your rows on the left. And we're all done. I'll close this out in prayer. Come on forward. This is us. This is why we do what we do. Because what he has done to make it possible. Amen, church? Please stand me as we close in prayer. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for all the blessings you pour out in our lives through your son, Jesus Christ which makes everything possible, which remembered this morning. Thank you for your calling in our lives. 
Thank you for calling us out. Jesus says very clear that we are the salt of the earth. We're the light. You've saved us not just for ourselves, but to share that light with others. This morning as we walked through and had a very honest conversation about that, God, I pray, I pray as a church that this week that you put someone in front of each and every one of us that need Jesus. And let us live that crazy faith out that we've been talking about and tell them about the greatest message ever given to mankind that Jesus saves. Right now I'm going to call our prayer team to come forward. And if you're in this room and you're walking through some stuff, you need to be loved on by your church, please come forward and pray. Be prayed over with and prayed with. But if you're in this room and you've never given your life to Christ, man, they would love nothing more to watch you accept Jesus. They'll walk you through it. They'll ask or answer any questions you may have and help you take that step to the saving grace of Christ in your life. God, this is your church. We are your people. I pray that we live every day till we come together again next Sunday in obedience to what your word says. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Church, don't forget, next Sunday we have baptisms. Come and watch people take their next steps with Jesus. God bless. Have an amazing week.